those of you who haven't been here the last few weeks, since we kicked off the year, we've been in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, and we've been thinking about this topic of joy. The first week we, we looked at the joy that Paul found in the Philippians in the church there because of their partnership in the gospel, like that they're Christians. Next week we saw how Paul was rejoicing that he had joy that the fact that the, the gospel was proclaimed. And last week we saw Paul and his focus in life, which was to for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. He had a, that his greatest joy was to know the Lord Jesus. But if he couldn't be with Jesus, he wanted to share that joy with others. Which brings us to the end of our time in Philippians. We're going to finish off chapter one this morning. And I want to think this morning again a bit about joy. But what I want to think about joy is I want to say that joy, I think, is something that can sometimes be hard. It might seem like a contradiction in terms, but I want to say, put it to you, joy is something that's hard in the sense that it can be hard won. There are, there are a number of ways uh, that joy can be hard won. So you know, guess what I'm saying? It's not all joy is easy. So for example, I wonder if you've ever known the the pain of climbing a physically taxing mountain to get to the joy that is the great view at the top, right? You've had to endure something hard to get to this great uh, joy at the end of it. Or maybe you've experienced the inconvenience, the hardship of waiting in a long line for something. You have to put up with the weight and other, other people, whatever it is, to get to the joy of riding on a roller coaster or getting into a movie or, or a sporting event or whatever the thing is that you would line up for to enjoy at the end of it. Or what about, uh, you might know that losing weight or getting in shape, feeling fit and looking good, being healthy, that can take lots of work. That can be hard. But there can be a great joy that comes from achieving those goals. Or maybe doing really well on an exam or assignment at university can be hard, or excelling in a work project. That can take hard work. But there can be a joy that comes at the end of that. A joy that comes when you get a sense of being proud and, and rejoicing in what you've achieved, the thing that you've gained. Think about a mother giving birth to a child. Now, I'm led to believe that having a baby isn't easy. I'm led to believe it's hard, it's painful. But I'm also led to believe that there is a great joy at the end of all that. That makes it all worth it in the end. So I want to say that often in, in life, sometimes things don't come easy. Most things in life, actually, a hard one, but that actually makes often the joy at the end all the more joyful. And so today, as we think uh, last week in this thing about this topic of joy, I want to say sometimes joy can be hard one, but the joy at the end is worth it. And so today, this last week in Philippians 1, I want to think about the joy of a worthy life. 
not the joy of an easy life. Put it to you, that life will sometimes be hard. But I want to think about not the joy of an easy life, the joy of a worthy life. And as we open up Philippians 1, I pray that we'll see what that looks like. Have a look with me, Philippians chapter 1, if you've got it there. Philippians 1, verse 27, Paul writes to the Philippians and he tells them, verse 27, There's only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the context of this passage, obviously, is Paul's in prison. Uh, he's told us in the preceding verses that he's kind of torn. At one level, he'd prefer to die and be with Jesus, which would be the best thing ever. But on another level, he wants to stay and remain for the joy of the Philippians, for the joy of others. He's kind of torn. He doesn't know what the outcome of his trial is going to be in prison. He might die. He might not. But what he says to the Philippians, whatever happens, whatever happens to me, whatever the outcome of my situation in my imprisonment, when it comes to you, here's what you should do. Here's how you are to live. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, um, each week, as we go through Philippians, I've been picking a different letter of the alphabet to sponsor the day. Well, today's letter is the letter W. Because think about what, when, why, and how. And I know how it doesn't start with a W, but it's got a W in it. So I think it still counts. Now, first thing, what is a life worthy of the gospel? What is that? What does living a life worthy of the gospel look like? Well, it means, at least at one level, living differently to the world. I don't know if your Bible is the type of Bible that has footnotes, but mine is, and it has this footnote. It says in verse 27, the Greek could also be translated, only behave as citizens worthy of the gospel talks about this idea of citizenship that's caught up in literally in the Greek. Now, I don't know about you, but I, at least, am an Australian citizen. I was born in Australia, which makes me a citizen. Maybe some others of you have become citizens by a different process. Maybe you had to sit a citizenship exam or pledge allegiance to Australia at some sort of ceremony. However, maybe you're not a citizen, but you must be a citizen of somewhere. But think about citizens of a place. Often we think about traits that go with citizens of different countries. So if you think about a citizen of Australia, people might think, well, Australians are laid back. Australians, they have this idea of everyone getting a fair go. Maybe you think about French citizens, you think about someone who's I don't know, they're known for their sophistication, maybe we could put it like that. Thinking about Japanese, they might be known for their honour. Thinking about an American citizen, maybe the Americans are known for their confidence. About being English, sure the English are known for something. <laughs> I won't, I won't. We got any South Africans here, Zoe? Maybe not. I won't say anything about South Africans. I'm like, I'll leave it. But citizenship, right? 
the idea of the citizenship that's on view here, it's not this, that the, the, the Philippian citizenship in Philippi that's on view. It's not even them being Roman citizens. But the citizenship that Paul's talking about is them living as citizens worthy of heaven. Paul is telling them to live their lives now as if living as citizens of heaven, which they are. The way you become a citizen of heaven is through the gospel, through trusting in the Lord Jesus. And if you've done that, you become a citizen of heaven. Paul says, live as if you're a citizen of heaven. Live right now as though you are living as citizens of heaven, which means, at least at one level, being like Jesus. What does it mean living as a life worthy of the gospel? Well, it means, perhaps, to observing every bit of teaching, every command that the New Testament gives to us. So at the end of Matthew's gospel, for example, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew's gospel ends with these words. It says, Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, Jesus calls on disciples to observe all that he's commanded them. It's what following Jesus looks like. You want to see it concretely? Look at Jesus. If you live like Jesus, you'll be living a life worthy of the gospel. Stephen Lawson, an American Bible teacher and preacher, he puts it like this. He says, a disciple of Christ is responsible for conducting themselves in a way that matches and showcases the gospel that they believe. Living a life worthy of the gospel, it starts with accepting Jesus as Lord. But it goes on each and every day, living with Jesus as Lord, trusting him as Lord, following him as Lord. Jesus is the perfect example of what that looks like, but also Paul himself is a worthy imitation. As he, he goes on to say in First Corinthians, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I don't know if you're into Marvel, the, the MCU or comic book movies, but there's a, there's a movie by Thor, first Thor movie. I'm going to give some spoilers here. But Thor's father, uh, he says, it, Thor's said to be the king, essentially. But he acts as a bit of a jerk. He's a bit impulsive. He's a bit reckless. And his father casts him out. He says this. He says, Thor, Odin's son, you have betrayed the express command of your king. Through your arrogance and stupidity, you've opened up this realm to the horror and desolation of war. You're unworthy of these robes. You're unworthy of your title. You are unworthy of the loved ones that you've betrayed. And he says, I take from you your power. But then he, he banishes him out of the kingdom and he, he chucks his hammer and says, if you be worthy, whoever possesses this hammer shall to have the power of Thor. So the idea is, He's not worthy to be king. And then the movie goes on to, to show the journey of Thor becoming worthy so that he can wield the power of the hammer, which he can only do if he's worthy. 
How does he do that? Well, he learns what it is to be a king. And what that looks like is when he's prepared to lay down his life and save his kingdom, he becomes worthy. Now, we're not kings or queens, but for us to live as a life worthy of the gospel is when we lay down our life to serve our king, when we live like him. So that's going to look like living as people who have worthy speech. We're not going to be people who put others down, but we're going to lift them up. We won't be people who just flatter other people, but we want to speak truth to them, even when it's hard. So it's going to be seen in worthy speech. It'll be seen in our worthy actions. It'll be seen in our worthy character as people of generosity, as people of humility and gentleness, and people who are gracious and peaceable. That's what he says. Paul says, whatever happens, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. When? Next, when? When are they supposed to do that? Well, the simple answer is all the time. Have a look again, verse 27. It says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. When are they to live worthy lives? All the time. So whether Paul's present, they'll live worthy lives. Whether Paul's absent, they'll live worthy lives. Because living a worthy life isn't actually dictated by the circumstances that you're in. Paul being stuck in prison is not a reason for them not to live worthy lives. Same principle for us, right? No matter who is with us, no matter who isn't with us, we are to live lives worthy of the gospel. Whatever circumstance we are in, we're to live the same, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. You might have guessed, I really love movies. Maybe you're into books. But I'm sure if you've ever seen any sort of uh, movie, often you'll see that there's a situation where there's a character and they seem like they're good. They seem fairly normal. They seem like they're on the right side. And then all of a sudden there's a twist in the plot and you finally discover that this person is actually the villain. And it's like they become a completely different person as the story goes along, right? Up to that minute, maybe they're, they're, they seem good, but then you, you learn something and then it's totally flipped. And you all the good that you kind of saw in them, you realize they were just acting. You can probably think of examples of in stories like that. It's someone they look good, and then all of a sudden it's like they flip and they're a completely different person. Well, that's not what living a life worthy of the gospel is like. Our behavior, our character, it shouldn't change depending on the circumstances that we're in. We shouldn't act a certain way just because we're around Christians. And then when we're not, we will act completely different. It's not living life worthy of the gospel. So I wonder how, how consistent are you? If you are a Christian, how consistent are you in living like you're a Christian? 
like you're a citizen of heaven. Are you a person who's fine when I'm at church or when I'm around Christians and do a pretty good job of trying to look respectable in the way that I act, but then when no one's around, when, when the Christians in my life disappear, then my living for Jesus goes totally out the window. And off that's you. But if you know that you're not consistent in living in a manner worthy of the gospel, it's worth confessing that to God. It's not like God doesn't know. Like, God sees everything and he knows that already. But at least part of living a consistent life is about acknowledging and being real with God and saying, God, I'm sorry for that. It's going to mean that we're going to live not just to impress people, we're going to act different just because we want someone to think well of us. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel means that we're going to be living to please God no matter who sees us. It means we'll be happy to do things whether people see us doing them or not doing them, whether we get credit for them or whether we don't get credit for them. We are to live lives worthy of the gospel all the time. Why? Verse 27, Paul says, So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now notice here, that when Paul calls on the Philippians to live lives worthy of the gospel, he does it so that he knows that they're going to be standing firm. And he says, striving together. First of all, if, if you're not living consistently for Jesus, if your behavior is kind of here, there, and everywhere, if it kind of changes depending on the circumstance you're in, it's hard for Paul to have any confidence that you're living for Jesus. Shifting and being inconsistent is the opposite, right, of standing firm. But notice also, it's not an individual thing. Paul expects the Philippians to strive together as one for the sake of the gospel. If you're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, you actually, I actually, need other Christians. We need each other to stand firm. Christians need each other to live lives worthy of the gospel. If you think that you're the kind of person who can kind of get through life as a Christian on your own and still be living for Jesus... But I put it to you that that is unlikely to happen. You might get through a year or two, a few years, maybe. But you won't get through life like that. We actually need each other as Christians, which is why church is so important, why church is so good for you. It's why God tells Christians not to give up meeting together 
more than that, verse 28, we see that they're going to be people who oppose us. Living a life worthy of the gospel is not going to be easy. There are going to be people out there who are hard-bent on opposing us and stopping us from doing that. And there'll be times where that can be frightening, Paul says. And that's part of the benefit of having others with us. Lots of scary things in life. Scariest things are when something's scary and you're by yourself. There's no one to help. You've probably heard this. It's been said that, you know, a hot coal will quickly go out by itself. If it's with other hot coals, they'll kind of keep each other warm. They'll keep each other burning. You know, if you're worried, I'm not going to be able to stand firm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live a life worthy of the gospel. Maybe you think, yeah, maybe uh, there have been times when I, I have been afraid. People maybe have opposed you for trying to live as a Christian. There are people who oppose Christ. And that can be scary, but Paul says here, those that oppose Christians are actually the ones you ought to be frightened. Says verse 28, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. You see, I know sometimes it can be really easy to be discouraged. It can be easy to feel like my life feels like it's anything but worthy of the gospel. It's easy to feel like, you know, I'm really inconsistent at following Jesus and I can often be pretty fearful in the, the face of opposition, just not living a life worthy of the gospel. But have a look verse 28. Have a look at it again. He says, It's a clear sign to them the opponents, of their destruction, but of your salvation in that from God. See, how is it that a Christian is saved? It's not from us. You see that? We don't save ourselves. We don't bring about our own salvation. It's God who saves us. Christianity is not about us saving ourselves by our own worthiness. Christianity is not about having to live worthy lives so that God will save us. He's already done everything that we need to be saved already. He's done that. So let me remind you, in case you've forgotten, of the good news, of the gospel message. The gospel message is that God has saved us at the cross through Jesus. It's through Jesus' worthiness that we're saved. Not yours, nor mine. You believe that? If you're trusting in Jesus' worthiness, not your own, you will be saved. And that by God, to what Paul says. But what does that mean for us? How are we going to live lives worthy of the gospel? 
Well, look at verse 29. Here's how you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. He says, It's been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. See, Christians are not only to believe. We certainly are to believe in Christ. And that's we, we've got to hang on to that. Don't ever, ever lose that, right? To live a life worthy of the gospel is to trust in Jesus' worthiness, not ours. As I just said, it's God who saves us, not us. Not our worthiness, it's not our manner of conduct, it's Christ's. That's what we're to believe. That's how we're saved. But... In response to being saved by Christ's death and his resurrection, Christians now, we are to bear fruit in our lives. We are to live differently. We are to be transformed by Jesus and his spirit at work in us such that we, we live lives worthy of him and of the gospel. We saw this if you were here back uh, in verse 10 and 11 of chapter 1 a few weeks ago. We are to be, it says, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, part of living a life worthy of the gospel involves us now suffering, Paul says. Suffering for him. What's that going to look like? Us here in Bendigo, what is suffering for Christ going to look like? Well, it's hard to say exactly, isn't it? The specifics might look different for each of us. But no matter who we are, if we're Christians, we're actually called to suffer for Jesus. But Paul, he was thrown in prison, which is where he wrote this letter from. Well, that mean the same for you. It doesn't mean we'll end up in prison. I don't know. Maybe you will. Maybe you won't. But at the very least, I think there will most certainly be relational costs when it comes to living for Jesus. It hurts, doesn't it? When people ridicule us. When they call us hurtful names. It hurts when, when people say that we're bigots. Or that we're fools. And sometimes that's not just going to be strangers. Sometimes it might be our own family. Sometimes it might be people we even considered to be our friends. Maybe it might mean people make it hard for you at work for being a Christian. Or maybe it might even mean you miss out on a job because you identify as a Christian. Or you could even lose a job because you're a Christian. Even in Australia, living a life worthy of the gospel is going to be hard. It's going to involve hard things. Or who knows, maybe for some of us, we might find ourselves living inside Australia, living somewhere where it's desperately dangerous to live for Christ. We might find ourselves somewhere where living for Jesus is a life and death situation. And wherever we end up, wherever God calls me to, wherever he calls you to, 
if we're going to live a life worthy of the gospel, it will involve suffering and conflict at some level. And the Philippians saw this firsthand in Paul. They saw Paul's struggles. They saw that he was thrown in prison. And as they shared the gospel, as we share the gospel, we will share in the suffering of Jesus. But remember where we started. I want to say, and I hope you take away this morning, that sometimes great joy comes through hard things. It's not going to be easy to be a Christian necessarily. We're going to be called to suffer, but there is no greater joy that comes at the end of all of that and living a life worthy of Christ. It's living Worthy lives are worth it. That's why they're called worthy. Things are worthy because they're worth it. And as Chris read to us in Romans chapter 8, Paul writes these words. Now, he's not minimizing suffering. Paul knew what it was to suffer, right? But he says this in Romans 8, verse 18. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. If you hang on to that truth and you believe it, that's going to help you stand firm now to live lives worthy of the gospel. So as we go now through hard things, let's fix our eyes on that day, that day that is coming, that joy that's coming, that's going to be worth it. Let me pray that God will help us to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have saved us by your Son. Thank you that we don't need to be worthy to be right with you, that you've done everything that we need. More than that, we thank you that you live in us and you work in us to change us. More than that, we thank you that you give us brothers and sisters in Christ, other Christians, to help us, that we may strive together as one, living lives worthy of the gospel. We thank you that we can look forward to a time when there's going to be no more suffering and it's going to be worth it when we get to be with you and all the joy that that entails. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.